0: This is Fortress on a Hill. Thank you for joining us. I'm Henry.
1: And I'm Danny. We're here to tear apart recent stories about our nation's armed forces and our veterans.
0: We hope you'll take a critical look at what's happening with our military. And we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Now, let's get started. So, hey, listeners, uh, we're going to start our headlines today with kind of a a back-to-back tag team on Africa, uh, the newest theater in our forever war that seems to be spreading to just about every continent on the planet. I think eventually we're going to find, quote, terrorists to fight in Antarctica at this rate. But uh, we'll start (laughs) with Africa today. This is kind of an old article, and it's from the Military Times. It's a few weeks old. And, and I've, I've been meaning to talk about it on the pod, and just other stuff keeps coming up. You know, it's almost impossible uh, not to get caught up in the daily news cycle of Trumpism. Uh, but this is from the Military Times, and it's called uh, DOD Approves Danger Pay for Niger, Mali, and Cameroon, three countries in uh, northwest Africa. So uh, we're going to talk more about the Green Berets that were killed months back, uh, the four Green Berets. But while they were serving in Niger, think about this for a second. The senators on the Armed Services Committee didn't even realize they were there. America did not even know where Niger was on a map. And those soldiers who died in a major combat operation were not even receiving danger pay. Because as far as the military was concerned, that was not a combat zone. Think about that for a second. We're in so much combat in so many places that we don't even know where we're at war and where we're not. We don't even know how to label it correctly. But have no fear, the Department of Defense, retroactive to June 7th, 2017. I have no idea how, com- how they came up with that. Uh, retroactive to that date, they are now paying danger pay uh, for all the soldiers and Marines, etc., that are uh, either in Niger, Mali, or Cameroon. Which is interesting that they chose those three countries, because I didn't even know we had a major military operation happening in Mali or Cameroon. So sometimes this is how you find out in the, in the mass secrecy society that we now live in, you have to like read between the lines to figure out what our damn soldiers are doing. And is Mali the next place they're going to die? Cameroon? The DOD seems to think it's a possibility. So anyway, those four soldiers, uh, Staff Sergeant Brian Black, Staff Sergeant Jeremiah Johnson, Sergeant LeDavid Johnson, and Staff Sergeant Dustin Wright um, – They will all now, their families, will be able to collect an additional $225 a month for the time retroactively that they spent there, which is positive, of course. Uh, But I'm concerned about why it took so long. Why not earlier? This is a reactive posture rather than a proactive posture. When it comes to benefits, and I think you agree with this 100%, Henry, when it comes to benefits, the military should be proactive. It should be forward-looking and trying to give us – if anything, more than we deserve rather than giving us less and then waiting to fix the problem later. If they knew that there was even the possibility of combat while they were doing the advising mission in Niger, there ought to have been danger pay. Okay. So this gets really interesting though. The, the imminent danger pay or IDP, uh, is being paid now. But at the same time that they did this, they reduced the amount of hardship duty pay for those three locations down to 100 from 150 a month. So in other words, they're like robbing Peter to pay Paul. They lowered the amount of hardship duty pay by $50, and then they added the 225 for this other pay. So now essentially the soldiers are getting a you know an $175 raise rather than uh, a $225 raise. It, it's, it's such penny-pinching. It, it's unbelievable to me that that's the approach we're taking. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the military isn't even sure, it appears, which areas of its deployments to 70% of the countries in the world are dangerous, which ones uh, are hardship duties. We're so overstretched in the year 2018 That we're having to, like, reactively figure out where our soldiers are in danger and try to pay them accordingly. And it's – I'll tell you, not to be too dramatic, but this is an indictment of the system, and it's an indictment of our foreign policy because – You know, there are special forces, I believe, from open reporting that are in some other countries in West Africa and some other countries in North Africa, like Libya. And if they're in Niger, Mali, and Cameroon, who's to say that, you know, we're not going to end up having soldiers in Nigeria, which is nearby, uh, or Algeria, which is nearby. I would like a full list given to Congress and thus the American people by the U.S. military of where we have advisors actively supporting host nation forces that are at war. I want that list. I want that list of every single country where it is possible one of our soldiers may die on an operation. Because I want to know where we what we're doing in the world and I want those soldiers to be compensated accordingly. And we can't wait until the next time. We can't wait till three soldiers get killed in Libya to decide that well Libya deserves danger pay or hardship pay. We need to be ahead of this. And uh, I don't think we should be in most of these places, but if we're going to be, let's take care of the soldiers. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Well, uh, my last time getting danger pay, we were for the 15 months on my last tour, I remember that they were able to get us out of country just in enough time that we didn't get the extra $1,000 for the 15th month. And overhearing NCOs discussing it is that that was always the plan, is that they go out of their way to try to deny troops this money, even when the rules are more liberal their actual enforcement is, is very, very conservative in the end. They don't get to, to those people as much. Now, I would, I would assume that by them saying, if, if, if they had done it from June 2017, that would have been their indictment that yes, these guys are taking fire. And so they would rather not pay these guys and have us be more completely in the dark about it than appropriately pay them and expose their operations there. And we're not talking about exposing them to any danger talking about to the media any bullshit they want to bring up about like no it's confidential it's national security we can't discuss it like you just said there's even one single soldier in Mali Chad Nigeria any of these places so um but yeah that's that's the way that they work the system especially when it comes to pay
1: and it's 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 ridiculous you know it's um it's a travesty and I want the American people to know about it. I want someone like John McCain to be yelling about this on the floor of the Senate. You know, um, I don't always agree with the man, but we need someone with a little bit of courage to stand up, maybe a veteran to say, hold on everybody, like hold your horses and let's take a look. Let's take stock of where we are in the world and, and relook our operations. You know, I think that would be uh, valuable and you're right. It's not going to happen. It's a systemic problem. And and we're reactive rather than a proactive force. Which brings us to uh, the other reporting, right? That 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 we're going to talk about now, uh, and the new information coming out in Niger.
0: Yeah. So, uh, first first on the on the block today for me, um, just out of Vice News this last week, that there is an eight hundred bed base being built on an old Soviet airstrip in Somalia. This is in addition to the eight hundred bed drone base that's being built in Niger. Um, but it shows just how dedicated DOD is to, quote, fighting extremism in Africa. Um, From the article, the buildup coincides with an aggressive escalation by U.S. forces in their fight against al-Qaeda-linked Shabab. U.S. Africa command known as AFRICOM, now has more than 500 military personnel in Somalia. Um, According to a spokeswoman, a dramatic increase over 2016 when AFRICOM only acknowledged 50 troops on the ground there. And since January 2017, U.S. forces have conducted at least 48 strikes in Somalia, compared to 14 in 2016 and 11 in 2015. Um, Bail Doggle, I think is the name of the base. Uh, The access to it is very highly restricted, but American contractors and Somali, Somali security officials with knowledge of the project told Vice News that the work began last June. AFRICOM would not... Uh, specify any specific base sizes, but it did confirm that that this base is now the third largest concentration of personnel on the con- continent, after Djibouti and Niger. Um, so, j- just looking at this through the contrast of the Obama administration for a second, Trump has given DOD all the clearance it needs to expand its operations in Africa. And while DOD spokespersons have talked about the need to, quote, advise and assist, that's the bullshit we hear most often, the heaviest fighting still requires U.S. boots on the ground to accomplish this. We're seeing this in in Afghanistan, certainly in Syria, and now we're seeing it in Africa too. This is in stark contrast to the Obama administration, which required drone strikes or use of special operations forces require an actual threat to Americans and along with U.S.-trained fighters starting coups in African nations, the U.S. military's mission in Africa seems to me to fit very much into a shoot-first, terrorists" 2nd Yeah, al-Shabaab is a definite threat, and it definitely needs to be be dealt with, but do we really need two entire new bases to handle that threat? Now, adding insult to absolutely fucked-up injury here, Um, There was a new classified report that congressional leaders were briefed on recently on the Niger ambush. As far as I know, the media has only been able to get the eight-page unclassified executive summary. Uh, Paul Zlodra, I'm not sure if I said his name right, from Task and Purpose, has a great short article on what information actually comes from the release. The executive summary largely lays the blame for the ambush on the soldiers who perished in the battle and not any leaders who authorized it. Um, included in the report, of course. oh, abs- yeah, of course, they just just let the pile of shit fall run right down the hill. Um, included in the report was the fact that the soldiers left their compound on a t- counterterrorism mission without the proper equipment or vehicles that most of them didn't have or didn't wear body armor in the ambush, and that they had no air support readily available. Um, this is from Paul. This report's assertions are absolutely shameful. Four American soldiers are dead. Because their mission was repeatedly and hastily changed. They were given thin-skinned vehicles with no heavy weapons, had no air support or Medevac support nearby, and apparently not enough intelligence that could have told them a force of 50 plus insurgents was working to support them or to surround them with mortars, heavy arms, and RPGs. Most of these problems can be traced back to the team's leadership, but instead this report seems to give them a pass. I, I can't tell you, Danny, the the anger I went through this week week reading about this and asking myself about the ncos on this team and about their you know where was their alarm in this i'm not i'm not putting it all on those guys but if i knew that higher up was rushing through an op and certain things weren't getting prepared like adequate air support i wouldn't take my guys it it would not it it you know uh change from a training mission to a kill mission, no intel to understand what they were walking into. And by the way, guys, AFRICOM has now mandated it that any convoy that goes out in the AFRICOM AO now has to have a drone that is doing air reconnaissance for it, which, to me, should have been the easy answer beforehand. We're going into places and with adjacent borders of countries that are real close together, and you don't really know what the hell's going on. So why wouldn't they have done that in the first fucking place?
1: It's a great question because you mentioned the NCOs. I'm sure they felt pressure just to do what they were told yes. because that that's how yes. it works. But at the same time, so many alarm bells should have gone off that you've mentioned. Okay, no air support, no drone giving us surveillance, and that means we don't have any intel. Uh, we don't even have body armor or crew serve weapons, so maybe we are not ready to switch this into a capture kill. Could you imagine rolling through a rock to go raid an apartment building? And you didn't even have body armor. First of all, you wouldn't be allowed out the gate.
0: Nope.
1: Without body armor or without cruiser of weapons, I mean, that's madness. It 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 shows that we're fighting the war on terror not only in more places than we need to, ever expansive, but we're doing it on a shoestring sometimes in these places like Niger, which is the same reason that the French had to get involved with like Kazovac and and, and an air support because we're we're all over the place. We don't we don't have resources to do this.
0: No, it's, it's, it, I just kept picturing the rolling out of gate, like you said, in, in Iraq. with, I think they had seven vehicles, but none of them had crew serve weapons mounted. So we'd be dead. We'd be dead. And, and even the heavily armored stuff, even the guys that Blackwater, the kind of trucks that Blackwater had, even those weren't as hard armored as our Humvees and ASVs and, and strikers and stuff. So right. yeah, no, but I, I, I hope more information continues to come out about this, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm so done being pissed about it for now.
1: My sister, who, uh, you, you know, she, she's interested in the military because I've been serving for so many years, but this is not a person who's deeply embedded in, in the knowledge about the Middle East or North Africa. And she texted me during one of the press conferences this week regarding Niger, and she's like, are you listening to this? So this is a lay person, my sister, you know, who's an architect, okay? She's not a professional military analyst. And she recognized the hypocrisy and, and really the absurdity of this mission and the fact that we're just finding this stuff out now, so much so that she decided to text me and talk about it. Because, you know, even to a lay observer, that should be telling. If a lay observer like my sister can can watch this and say, you know, I don't know a lot about the military, but something doesn't sound right, alarm bells ought to be ringing. And, uh I feel like this is not the last we've heard of the Niger ambush. I feel like we're going to get some sort of new, shocking information in the future because it's it's all come out in drips and drabs. You know, we didn't get like a solid report to the public. It's all been like leaking out, one thing after another. Oh well, actually, he was captured. Oh well, maybe he wasn't. Oh, maybe he was executed. And may, you know, it's like one piece after another has been has been sort of leaking out rather than just a full disclosure.
0: Mac uh, Mac Thornberry, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, when the first leaks from this report came out in the media, the only thing that he mentioned in his press release was the leaks. It wasn't the information hmm. that came out. It wasn't any of these points that we've discussed today. His only thing, and it was a good two-paragraph press release about this, was about his anger At the leaks about the fucking report, not the reality. And you know, he could do both. I get that they don't want to question DOD on anything these days, but couldn't he not do both? Could he not hold them accountable and say that the leaks weren't were inappropriate?
1: Seems logical to me, but it's so political and it's so partisan at this point. It's like it seems to me that like Republicans and conservatives at this point, most of them at least, only care about the leaking. They're like, how dare people leak? And 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 the Democrats feign shock that, you know, oh my God, the, the substance of the leak, but even the Democrats aren't really engaged. They don't know what's going on until after it happens. So it's like, there's no congressional oversight. There's you know, part of the reason we have a Congress is, t- is to hold the executive accountable and to provide oversight of military operations, foreign policy, etc. And I mean, they're just failing in that duty. And then we're surprised they have like a 7% approval rating, Congress that is. Um, they are derelict in their duty. They are supposed to represent us. Okay? And uh, and they're not doing that. And, and you know what? We shouldn't be surprised because this is a 17-year-old tale. This is nothing new. They're, they're the same problems have repeated themselves every year. If you think it'll be better in 2019, you're wrong. It's going to be worse. Yep, it'll definitely be worse. Because it's been getting progressive worse. And this administration, like you mentioned, they ran on a platform of like less war, less dumb stuff in the Middle East. And I was kind of on board with them. You know, I thought Donald Trump was a sort of coarse and crude man, of course. But I was like, all right, well, some of the stuff he does on foreign policy is pretty reasonable. But the exact opposite is how he's actually, you know, uh, actually ruled. It's been whatever the DOD wants, we'll give them. And if they want to expand operations, if they don't want to stop reporting civilian casualties, well, that's good. Never question our military. They're gods. Well, they're not gods because when they roll out the gate without armor and cruise surf weapons and intelligence, they die just like anyone else. Because they're not gods. They are the most effective fighting force in the world, but they still need to be supported in order to succeed.
0: Absolutely. It's, uh, they're, like, yeah, no, we're not, they're not supermen. They're not people that have anything beyond what a normal soldier would. They can't, they, they're, they're not Hercules. They're not going to go in and, and change things in a way that any other fighting force could not change something. So, And, and this is a stern reminder for me, where's our anti-war movement? Where are people talking about this exact thing? Not even just the missions, but the deployments. Seventy countries in the world, right, Nanny?
1: Seventy percent of the countries in the world, which which adds up to about 140 ah, countries.
0: I knew I had that wrong somehow.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's much worse than we thought. Yes, no, seventy percent
0: is much fucking worse.
1: Now, most of it's special forces, but still, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's a lot. That's an alarming thing. I told, you, I was only being a little facetious when i said well are we gonna what, what's next a, a drone base in antarctica like i what, yeah no where that's, where that's, aren't it's not where off aren't the mark we deploying yep. uh, <laughs> you know and so you mentioned like where's the anti-war movement which kind of rolls me into my next article which is also from the military times it's also a couple weeks old and i've been meaning to fit it in and that's the uh, title of the article is The Vice Chief Wants More Than Just Military Brats in the Army. Uh, this is referring to the Army's vice chief of staff, the sort of second in command of the Army. His name is General James McConville. And um, he is expressing alarm that too large of a percentage of our military uh, has a large number of family members also in the military. In other words, the military is not touching a broad enough sort of – a framework of people, and it's a narrow military caste, almost like a Praetorian guard in the Roman sense that is now serving in the military. And and he expressed alarm about this. Oh, by the way, he knows something about this, because General James McConville himself has three children serving in the U.S. military right now. Wow. And this is not uncommon. I, I, I can't tell you how many of my cadets at West Point had parents who also graduated from West Point. Uh, I'll give you a little vignette. Every, I taught history at West Point 2014 to 16. And on the first day of class, every semester, all four semesters, I don't really teach. I sort of just do a get-to-know-you session, and everyone introduces themselves and where they're from and what they're interested in. We all just get to know each other. And one of the things they always have to start with is tell us where you're from. And I had usually 12 to 15 cadets in each class. We have pretty small class sizes, which is great. And every time I did it, between three and five of those cadets. In other words, about 33% of them would say, well, I'm not really from anywhere. And I would say, what do you mean? And they would say, well, I'm a military brat. And that's great. I mean, there's an enormous amount of honor in a family having sort of a tradition to serve, but too high of a percentage of our military is is from military families, from the same little group, so that the rest of the country is disjointed and sort of split from the military and what the military does. And I think that helps explain your point, which is that there's not enough of an anti-war movement. Because if there were a draft, or if a larger percentage of Americans were volunteering, more people would have skin in the game, and more people would be like, wait a second, what are we doing? But when it's these like military castes, these like military families that are serving, no one really cares, because it's just like a small segment in the society, and it doesn't touch your average American.
0: And it fits right into their lived experience as well. Absolutely.
1: You know, McConville came up with some stats. I mean, get this. Right now, 79% of the people that join the Army have a family member that served in the military. How do you not become isolated from the rest of society when 79% of your enlistees are from military families? That's an enormous number. Now, I understand some of those are like grandfathers who were in Vietnam and, you know, during the draft time, but that is still, it's the highest it's ever been, to my knowledge. The quote that... Uh, that you know, General Conville had was really excellent. He said, quote, we don't want to be a family business or a military business because we want to give everyone the opportunity to serve. In other words, it's unhealthy for the republic, small r, republic, when a military caste begins to fight. When you so professionalize your force that it no longer reflects the society, society that's supposed to be protecting. This happened in Rome. Rome started having a military caste, and then it started relying on essentially mercenary professionals, to fight in its armies, and what they found out was Roman society became ever more sort of corrupt and uh, narcissistic and, and, and not invested in its own defense, and sooner or later, the, the borders started kind of falling to the barbarians, and that's not the only reason it happened, but it helps explain the fall of the Roman Empire, and I, I fear that we're in a very similar situation today.
0: I guess I, 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 you know, you're a history buff. Is there, is there anything more hopeful in that than Rome, or are we just watching ourselves slowly slide into that same conclusion?
1: I think if there's if there's any hope, you know, obviously technology keeps us a step above the quote barbarians, whatever those are these days. I think most people would think a barbarian is just a Muslim or a vaguely Arab person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know technology and social media and the and the ability to, to to spread information should be helping us it should be helping people like you and I to kind of ring you know ring the alarm and get our message out but unfortunately one of the problems with social media and technology is that the everything's so saturated and inundated with articles and stuff to read that people can't figure out what's what's valuable and what's trash you know what's fake news and what's conspiratorial and what's real news and so you know, I'm not even, I don't know what to be hopeful about. I'm sort of, a, I have a dark view of a lot of this, admittedly. I think that unless we come up with some sort of form of national service, whether it be just military or like the opportunity to serve in some other federal agency, um, unless we have national service for kids right before, or right after they graduate college, um, I don't see this changing. I think that the military will become ever more professionalized, ever more narrow and ever more of a family business until it's almost like we have mercenary serving.
0: And you know what it's like on a military base, the the culture that is created, and the, like you said about those NCOs in, in Niger, about wanting to say yes. And so you find that the underlings, this is the life, the life they live the entire time, so why would they not continue to push more combat, more operations further and further and further in if there's nothing at all in their life period, both before military and after, to contrast that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point that, you're sort of making i mean do you do you think that those green berets in niger we can't get inside their heads do you think they really could have articulated what they were doing there do you think they could have really articulated how their mission fit into the broader strategic framework in the united states like could they have articulated how what they were doing that day made america safer i i I tend to think they would have been at a loss of words and i think they what you would have heard a lot of stuff like this we've all heard this right You would have heard, well, I'm here for my men to protect my people. Yep. Well, I'm here to complete the mission. Well, I'm here to do whatever my command says. Like, I'm here for my brothers on my left and right. But that's not sufficient. Those are platitudes. Those are things we tell ourselves in order to get through the day. That's right. And get through the danger. We owe our soldiers more of an understanding of what the hell are they doing. Cameroon is on that list of countries where you get danger pay now. What the fuck are we doing in Cameroon, and how does it make New York City safer? Someone needs to articulate that to me. The president owes that to us. The congressmen owe it to us to ask some tough questions and say, someone tell me how Mali fits into the security of Milwaukee. Yep. We are owed that. We're not getting it. And part of the reason we're not getting it is because people are not worried about the military because the military is just this tiny little fraction, half of a percent of Americans— who they serve, and then their kids serve, and then their nephews serve, and it goes on and on and on until it's almost like a mercenary force. And that's not taking anything away from the bravery of the soldiers fighting, but it no longer reflects America.
0: It just doesn't. and That's dangerous for a republic. It also doesn't uh, keep in mind the two and a half contractors that usually come with every deployed service member who, in some circles or in some missions, they are mercenaries, essentially. Precisely.
1: They're precisely mercenaries, by the by the definition, right? Yep. Um, and you're right, two and a half contractors for every American soldier. Uh, it's wild. And you got these lunatics running around like Eric Prince, who is, I believe, Betsy DeVos, the education secretary's brother, which yeah. is just fucking wild. But, you know, this guy's running around saying, you know, he used to run Blackwater. They've basically just renamed themselves like three or four times. But... He's running around saying, like, yeah, send us to Afghanistan. We'll, we'll police Afghanistan. Like, in other words, s- pull the army out and send in just mercenaries. I mean, that's that's how far through the fucking looking glass we are now. Yeah. And, and people are considering this. Seriously. I mean, I don't know that it's going to happen, but the fact that it's even – it's not laughed out of the public sphere. The fact that it's not a, a joke is scary, that people are considering this. The fact that we need two and a half contractors to do our job is itself – an indictment of the system. The military is not resourced to fight the world over. No. 500,000 American soldiers, which is about where we top out, okay, we're a little lower than that. I think we're closer to like 460 now in the army. That is not a sufficient force to police the world. No. So you have two options become a military state that fields a two to three million man army or do less. Prioritize what's actually important. And you mentioned two new bases in, like, Somalia, and then another drone base in Agadez, which is in Niger. This is more expansion. 800 beds means 16 or 1,800 contractor beds. And where where are we getting these people from? You know what I mean? There's a finite number of soldiers in the military. There's a finite number of mercenaries or contractors willing to serve. What if we can't stabilize every country in North Africa? What if there's just too many? What if we have to say, okay, which of these terror groups is actually transnational in its goals and threat? Okay, in other words, there are lots of Islamist extremist groups in the world. But a very tiny percentage of them have either the means or the intent... To attack the American homeland. Okay? Uh, The number of uh, Islamist groups that have actually uh, attempted and or uh, achieved an attack on the American homeland, you can count on basically one hand. But we're fighting Islamist groups the world over because, well, they're Islamists. Well, they're Muslims and they're extremists. We have to fight them. But, you know, not every farmer with a gun who wants to put Sharia in as the law has the intent or the capacity to attack Florida. You know, it's, we have to prioritize. And right now we're not right now. It's, we're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, uh, and, and Americans will continue to die for nothing. If we keep doing that, Americans will continue to die for things that are not important enough. It is not sufficient to die for your brothers. You need to also be dying for something worthwhile. Otherwise, you shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have been asked to die for your brothers because the fact that you were is a failure in the system, a failure of the American people, a failure of the
0: American republic. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with everything you're putting out. It, it, we, we should have, I should have been, as a young soldier, I should have been able to articulate why we were in Iraq because my command had made it clear to me this is, this is what's important here. They just told us to train and arm Iraqi police. That was it. It didn't matter that they weren't doing well at the job. It didn't matter that they were selling their weapons and uniforms in the market. It just mattered that we continued doing the mission, quote-unquote, that we were fucking doing there.
1: Right. You're absolutely right. I remember military police that we used to work with who, you know, would do what you're describing, you know, and just kind of drive around from police station to police station all day, checking on their checking on the people they were training and like they were on the road for like six or eight hours a day. And every minute they were on that road, they were in massive danger of IED strike. And it was just, I used to wonder, man, how do these guys do it? You know, most Americans think they think infantry, they think cavalry, they think, you know, maybe armor as like the combat forces. And they didn't realize that like military police were in at least as much or more dangerous as those people, just because they were on the road all day checking on these pieces of shit largely that we were trying to make in our own image and it was just not going to happen and we're doing advise and assist all over the world now and I, i just i don't see any output i don't see any gain it's like all risk and no reward
0: part of it is our our disconnect from their cultures as well i i lived at um an ip station uh out on the border border with iraq and syria for uh six seven weeks something like that and every day we would try to do classes with them and we'd ask them where's everybody at and said oh they're all out on patrol we never knew if they actually were but we but we essentially wasted our six weeks there because they weren't there to actually participate in anything
1: yeah it's it's absolutely wild hey guys just like keep thinking about this stuff stay on top of it be a citizen and uh, and ask tough questions find out what you can call your congressman ask tough questions that's it's got to be the people congress will fail us the presidency will fail us the courts will fail us it's on us it's on the people there needs to be a groundswell and uh that's what we're calling for
0: fuck yeah thank you for joining us today please come join the conversation at www.fortressonahill.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill or on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Fortress on a Hill. We want to hear from our listeners about the topics and issues pertinent to America's military and veteran communities. And last but certainly not least, analyze your news and its sources very closely. Verify everything you read, and remember that no one, no matter how powerful, are above criticism, especially those with the power to send others into harm's way. We'll see you next time.